Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan, here with Kai again, and today it's just going to be the two of us. It's been a little while. We've had, uh, man, some busy times lately, so we're glad to get back and record. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of horrors, man. A lot of a lot of stuff going on in the last few, few weeks, so... So today we're yeah. going to get into all that and some of the uh, some of the bad stuff. I guess uh, is that what we'd call this episode, Kai? Yeah, no drama, no drama. Just uh, you know, just the, all the bad stuff that happens to us really personally with our, you know, um, our get up every day or throughout the week or how, how just how we flow with things. Um, there are things that are going to basically make you cry a little bit or you know really make you question what you're doing. Uh, sometimes it makes you go to script this the back to the board and erase everything off and redo everything again you know yeah um, these are this this podcast is about things like that basically the stuff that makes us cringe um yeah the nail biting stuff the the heartbreaking stuff uh, and we'll try to get into as much as we can that way maybe some of you guys can avoid the situation as well because chances are other people are running into the same problem you know right and so, uh, again, we just want to say thank you to the Morelli Python Radio Network for allowing this uh, to happen, for us being under their umbrella. Um, go onto their website, check them out, check out all the different podcasts that are on there. I think it was kind of slow for everybody a little bit. Maybe it, maybe I'm saying too much, but just um, it's a busy time, it seemed like. Yeah. Uh, a couple big reptile shows, other things going on. Um, so, back-to-back stuff that kind of makes things hard, you know? Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you know, what we do is not selling shoes or, or a coat that you can put on a rack, you know, um, the, the animals are a day to day still in, and you having to do, you know, show stuff or busy life stuff, um, basically kind of, kind of can interfere with that or that can interfere with your, your own life. You know what I mean? And so, um, kind of juggle, juggle, juggle it all together. Yeah, so uh, perfect for the things that go wrong. So yeah, my, my connection is a little spotty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that go wrong, but uh, I guess we can get right into it, man. With um, everybody's dealing with this right now, and uh, FedEx is uh, is in the hot oh, seat, man. you know. Um, and so I think uh, you, you, I myself deal with stuff weekly, um, but Alan himself recently had a had a had a terrible hiccup you know um you want to talk about that real quick just so we can yeah. kind of get into uh some of the heartbreak so i've been stuff. putting together this dorianus project right and i'm super excited about it um it started with this great looking female that kai had access to um and <laughs> unfortunately so i started i started piecing these animals together um, looking for exceptional animals that I wanted to work with. And, um, <clears throat> this orange, orange spot pastel female, I mean, just out of this world, um, was the reason to start this project. So I, it's, one of the other animals I found was another really good looking animal, uh, male who, um, a guy had posted online. And so I found someone to help you know, uh, ship the animal to me because the original owner didn't want to ship. Um, well, basically what happened is it got shipped to me right on the plane, got dropped off at the airport, boxed correctly. I mean, the, the guy has plenty of experience boxing high dollar animals. Um, the weather was great. 
and then there was a hiccup with FedEx and the animal got held over for an extra 24 hours. Um, <clears throat> needless to say, when I get the box the next morning, dead on arrival. So, I mean, this, this was one that had been raised, um, doing good from a small individual now about, I would say two and a half, three feet. And, uh, I don't even know what to make of it, but yeah, it was dead on arrival. Yeah. FedEx's fault. FedEx's fault. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of us have had to deal with that recently. Not some of it, not too bad. It's more stress than anything, but we're already high stress as it is sending an animal on the plane, right? We basically want everything to flow smoothly. Um, some, some tips, whether you're receiving or shipping, uh, you know, you kind of want to do some math work with temperature and how you're going to box things or get things shipped to you. Um, you know, even if you're not the shipper, you yourself can kind of have some standards on how you think want things shipped to you as well. You kind of mention it in the thing, talk about a phase two pack, or if it's really cold, talk about a heat pack. If it's really hot, talk about other, other things to basically balance out the temperature. And so within this uh, episode, we'll try to get into specific details like that, where, you know, you're not just going to be so much as um, left with at the mercy of FedEx, even though we are, we can't do a whole lot once the the package is lost, other than having the third party, which is like ship your reptiles or reptiles express communicate with us. You know, um, I myself have had mostly just hiccups. Nothing that I've sent out died yet, but essentially things get held up in the mail. Yeah. Um, there's you know COVID issues or loss of staff or lack of staff or um, the weather is crazy. You know. Uh, basically storms and things like that impeding the sh shipping service. So um, essentially things are all shut down or like the, th the stuff that happened in Texas that where Texas froze over, remember? And <laughs> yeah. Texas was never really expected to. Yeah, Kai was right. There's different things that happen. I mean, uh, we're getting alerts if you're using any of these companies that um, FedEx is just there. They have shortages on people, shortages on um, availability of, I guess, ways to move packages right now so they're having to condense um their resources a little bit into certain areas um and this is the heads up that's been coming in the last week or two so i'm very hesitant to ship in the next uh next couple yeah. months especially going into the holidays it's gonna get nuts plus the weather you know is gonna get colder um, so I might, I might be holding on to things till springtime, yeah. to be honest, just That's, to hopefully get through this. Um, it's what I had to do last year. Welcome back, Kai. Hey, thanks, man. It's <laughs> what I had to do last year. Um, yeah. I, uh, I had to hold, hold stuff back and some people were fine. Some people were quite impatient and, you know, they obviously didn't want to. Um, there are, there are people out there that are kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit and shipped throughout all the whole year. They just kind of you know, um, I don't know, maybe like really risk it or chance it, you know? Um, but some, some packages make it fine. Some, mm -hmm. some don't, some people are really experienced with shipping, um, getting back into what I was kind of mentioning earlier, you know, like for myself, when I ship, I, I kind of do a couple things. So I take the temperature of where I'm at, where it's, how it's going to be and temperature of the destination. But most people forget the layover state that is where you need to be paying attention a lot right. and that's going to be the crucial memphis the, cru the crucial <laughs> area this even if it's several hours 
if they say and sometimes they'll warn you about stuff that happens in memphis or indianapolis which are the two sort of i guess when you're traveling across the united states back and forth like all the way for the east coast you'll be hitting one or two of those hubs you know and so that making sure that layover state isn't either freezing or overheated as well so as far as the the, the, the temperatures go you kind of want them to be somewhat similar not like uh 90 degrees here but it's only going to be 40 degrees at, at that other state and right now those are the temperatures that we're certainly facing some places are still extremely hot in the 90s and some places are 40s like right. my friend from washington told me to basically use a heat pack for the stuff that i'll uh, that i'll start sending him because it's now already starting to get chilly so paying attention to those things um essentially you'll be able to check the tracking number and it'll it'll give you a certain code and that'll determine whether it's going to indianapolis or memphis um and a lot of the third party shipping companies will have a bracket and something like this explained for you so you can be able to read it much simpler you don't want to just be like all right i'm at i'm at the mercy of the shipper i'm at the mercy of of the third party and you're at the mercy of um the the fedex hub right you want to still be not i mean somewhat in control but you kind of want to be aware of the situations and how they flow progressively or if they don't like for me when i check the the, the fedex at four in the morning because i do weird stuff like that um you know, uh, I, i'm expecting <laughs> that other that the destination to say at hub facility or at ship center being distributed or something like that that means things has basically mm -hmm. gone to the third or fourth step prior to getting to the customer you know prior to them picking it up so you'll see as as they update your tracking you'll get these things and this is what you got to pay attention to now you know things happen i get packages and i ship them weekly and i get delayed weekly it sucks and it, it, it luckily i go through a place with, um and they essentially update me on the hour or every few hours that the package is late they'll basically mention me that this thing is being held at the facility uh -oh. there's a temperature control room and you know those things i'm i look for in a, in a third party where they're communicating with you right basically on the up and up with stuff you don't want to be left in the wind because it sucks you got an animal in the air or you got an animal stuck somewhere and you got you're trying to get it you know and you want to be able to be able to know what you're what you're working with um and still be able to navigate through the system because a lot of times they'll play dumb or they'll you know there's just so much tape that you kind of have to go through just to get them to really pay attention to you or take you seriously and so these are those avenues that you want to be sure of before you get things shipped to you or you ship yourself <clears throat> but uh you know while we're talking about shipping and kai's working out whatever that is going on um I will say that I I shipped somebody basically a clutch of Ackies uh, just in the last few weeks, and I originally had been shipping um, baby monitors in deli cups until uh, there was a Tristus I had to put into a deli cup and actually pinched its tail. Now I was super careful about doing it, but they were just so quick, and all of a sudden that tail can't, comes up, pops up. And when it pinched, the animal then freaked out also and began twisting like a little crocodile. And I mean, that, oh, that 
tail tip had no Tail's chance. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Tail's um, gone. So, so to prevent that, if I was just shipping one or two animals, I usually still put them in deli cups. But when I was shipping uh, more than one animal, instead of, you know, loading up on deli cups, I would put them in a, just a bag, a reptile bag with some um, paper towels or something. And I've been doing this for a while now. I haven't had any issues. Well, <laughs> this guy gets huh. this, this order and it's like one of the babies in there decided to go um, crazy on the rest of them. So some of them had little bite marks, nothing really uh, significant, but one had like from its ear almost to its eye, like this bite wound, you know, and I still haven't seen anything like that out of babies just keeping and raising babies. But, you know, I'm like, I'm beginning to think, did I flick it in the head somehow? (laughs) Or, you know, did I I take a sander to the side of this thing's face? Um, you know, but we just determined it was done in route to him. It happened. And, you know, it's, I, I started asking for advice and I started freaking out, you know, asking some of the guys that have been doing this for a long time, what do you do? And unfortunately, sometimes things just happen. Um, you got to eat that and then, uh, return whatever to the customer or make sure that you got to make that right. Right. Some, Some of the things that we have to do as, as people with integrity in this hobby, you know, we want to make sure people are satisfied with what they got. Even if we took a loss, that's, that's a, that's basically a loss, but absolutely. Hey, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Um, make it right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically make it right. And so, uh, that's, that's a, that, that's a tough one, man, because it's like, man, I didn't do that. That, that, <laughs> that little lizard did that. <laughs> right. And it killed me though. It, it absolutely killed me. I was, I mean, things were everywhere at the time, but I wanted to make sure that this shipment got to this guy uh, correctly. Um, and actually before this, so <laughs> I had two, there was two different clutches, um, two different types of Aki's base. I say types, but two different line kind of uh, breeding things that I was sending him. And um, I was, I had five of one of them, two, two babies got out. Now I use these same baby enclosures for all my babies. I mean, um, for the Kimberly's, Tristus, um, all kinds of Ackies. Well, I've had all kinds of things in there, right? Never had an issue. Um, not one that I didn't cause. And somehow these two babies who need their way out of this thing. And of course this happens like the, the day of shipping, right. Or the day before I'm shipping <laughs> my warehouse is huge with as far as nooks and crannies and where things can hide. And uh, it's like, Oh, there's, there's no chance in finding these things within this time period. So that's how this whole thing started off. I was like, ah, uh, Hey, um, I lost two. And he's like, what do you mean you lost two? Yeah to <laughs> you know had to eat that feel crunchy but um be truthful be honest and say hey here's what i can do i ended yeah. up um in the process which you might get into later in this i had to rip the entire warehouse down to the bones down to the walls um not specifically yeah. for this animal but uh i did find one of them there's a few other places where i'm still hoping the other one might be but um yeah, I did find one of them, so hopefully that other one will pop up soon. Uh, man, <laughs> I yeah. had a lot of bad recently. So um, should I just continue? You want to jump in here, Kai? Uh, no, it's. Uh, I think my connection's a whole lot better now. Switch. Oh yeah, whatever you did. 
yeah so um you're not as pixelated with, uh, <laughs> with, with my uh my current kimberly clutches um i just finished shipping out the last one for now right nice. and man almost every single one of those was a hiccup in shipping like maybe two of them went really smooth, but the rest of them were all nail biters, and uh, yeah, just 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 waiting for those to make it. You know, some one of them I shipped like during when it was ninety degrees for me, but only eighty five for the gentleman over where they were going, right? Um, but you know, I was kind of scared. I was like, man, it's ninety too hot. You know, let me let me just try it. Right. You know, I'm gonna nah, just Aussie just species it. Is good. Yeah. yeah. So that's like, all right, you know, it's, it's not, not too bad. So, um, I myself, I have to really, it's like, damn, you got to test things out almost like, all right, I guess if it doesn't make it, I'll have to eat this, but if it makes it great, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, going back with your, the Dorianis thing, the, the whole <laughs> hookup with, hiccup with that you know they, they don't it isn't nothing comes easy you know and so if you're starting an amazing project like that essentially man those are like two two hiccups at, like back to back so so what kai is referring to is this awesome female that kai was able to get his hands on it had a couple like um issues some rub marks and whatnot basically kai spent some time nursing this thing back to health making sure those are cleared up and um so finally we put together a shipping date and he ships out this beautiful animal to me and i'm stoked the whole reason for this project is built around this animal um and she's she's doing great i have her for about a week in cages that i've now used plenty of times with different animals um i know how the cages function in my my rooms and setups and um as far as i could tell i was seeing poop I was so I knew she was eating. she wasn't eating in front of me, but I was seeing poop. Um, the morning of, I go to change her water and she runs away from me. No big deal. She's active, you know, um, moving and I'm making sure she had fresh water. That evening, I go back and I go back to look in the cage and there she is, like not moving. And I'm like, wow, I must have snuck up on her. She's sleeping. I pick her up, but you know, I open the top and there's no movement. So already my heart's starting to sink. And I had, I had had her about a week and she's, she'd been doing fine. And I pick her up dead as a doornail. And, um, I've decided I am, I did freeze her. I'm going to get a necro done on her because I'm at a loss. Just what the heck happened? Yeah. I even sent Kai yeah. a video kind of showing the entire animal. Cause it's, there's not like, there's not a loss of body weight. There's no bites. She was by herself the entire time. Yeah. And like I've said, yeah. I know the temps of this enclosure. So I've checked them before and after. Um, the other animals were fine too that are neighboring animals. So it's like. Right. Yeah. So it's a hard one. It's one of those things where we're sort of out of our control. Just where it's like, man. And it's another hard pill to swallow. It's almost like uh, I put in this time, this money, effort, all this stuff like that. And. And then to kind of lose it, you know, there's almost nothing to really do. And then when you can't figure out what was the issue, it's like even more mind boggling. Right. Um, and you just really sit back. You really try to, you know, something that you may pick up later on or you may not pick up at all. Um, and we just kind of just move on, try to keep that in the back of your mind. But, you know, you still want to continue to move on and move move forward. And um, the, pro the, the process, though, and getting more animals has been on the up and up now for him, right? Um, as far as getting more Dorianis. Yeah. And, I decided yeah. I'm doing this, so I'm sticking with it. I'm not, I got it like a, 
a five-year outlook kind of on this project. That's to get them tuned in to how I'm keeping them, for me to learn, honestly, how to keep them, um, and to hopefully get some reproductive success out of them. Um, yeah, man. Dorianus would be amazing tap-in because, you know, essentially we're trying to really figure out the species itself. Um, uh, it's 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 one of those things where there's a lot of things that can go wrong with the species as well just because they're known to be aggressive and they get quite – quite large for people it's like basically a, a nile monitor almost right. in size yeah they can um, get large <laughs> now i have yeah. uh, i have six no i have i have five um but i'm looking to add the that's another one that basically should so here, here's the issue that i have now i have the super like orange pastel you know male, uh, male. I yeah. want to find another one to pair that one with, of course. That's the look I absolutely love. But now I have these two real young ones that look more like your classic Dorianus, but they're starting to change into like bluish greenish spots on their back. Um, so I have a feeling they're going to be something totally separate than the, the pastels. And then I have yeah. two that came in just recently that one's about three foot, one's about three and a half foot. And they have really nice um, turquoise, greens, um, blues all down the back that go into like orange and uh, yellow spots on the back. But these are just spots, heavy black background still. Um, yeah. So now I'm like, well, there's so much unknown. I'm certain these are different locales. So yeah. I... <laughs> I'm, I might have to make some decisions here about, because they're big animals, what I'm actually right. going to keep and work with and what I'm not going to keep and work with because um, there's so much variation, you know? And yeah. I, I don't necessarily you know, throw them all together. Right, right. We're trying, trying to keep it clean still, mm -hmm. especially with what you got. So they may be, they may be locale specific, but at the same time, you kind of want to keep clean stuff lineage-wise, you know? Yeah. And the whole look, the outlook too. And as far as like those... Those horror stories that you got in, I mean, do you mind talking about some of the stuff that that uh, you had to deal with as you got these animals? They actually came in pretty decent, right? But there was some yeah. some other so other they came uh, right to... into California, and then basically the next day came up to me. So ended up getting a group of tree monitors and the Dorianus, and um, I mean, just some outstanding looking animals. And as far as imports go. I'm actually pretty happy with their condition. That being said, some of the ticks on these things, man, they were like, they were like the size of a corn kernel on some of them. One was stuck in this blue tree's oh, ear man. that was just like, I mean, it had yeah. to affect the thing's hearing. One was stuck right into the neck of a, of a green tree, just like this nasty old witch looking wart. <laughs> and, oh, um, man. and there's like, if I had to guess, there's like six different species of ticks in these things. And, oh, um, and the way some of them would go, the, the ticks would like find an entry point and they'd all, especially these, these bigger ticks would all try to get into that same nook and cranny. So it was hard to pull them out accurately because they're so close together. Like you want to make yeah. sure you get all the tick out. And, uh, so, you know, wedging these tweezers in between, and then, yeah. and then another thing, some of the smooth tweezers would just slide right off the back. <laughs> slip off. Right. So it just clinks. Yeah. So actually some of the, like feeding tongs that have those little serrations in them, 
I had to get good with those. And then finally, what I ended up doing is using a really precise pair of um, uh, like needle nose pliers that have those serrations. And that's yeah. what I'm doing a lot of. Now, along with that, I also tried something. Um, a lot of the snake guys, maybe lizard guys too, I don't know, um, use frontline dog and cat spray, okay? D- just put this out there. It's been used. Sure. Use at your own risk, okay? I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not telling you how to use it or anything. Do your own research. I'll just tell you what I did, okay? Um, so, with snakes, when you're treating snakes for like snake mites or something, uh, it's recommended you spray it either onto some rubber gloves and then run your hands down the snake, or spray it onto like a paper towel. Rub that paper towel, so it's not a direct spray. Um, and I've, I've used it on snakes. I've used it on imports or snakes that came in with stuff. Um, it actually works great for killing mites. It's a product I wouldn't... And as far as snake use, I would recommend it. But I hadn't heard anybody using it with lizards, and especially for ticks. So I, all, a lot of these smaller mites, they were just too tedious. I mean, we're talking hundreds of... I'm sorry, mites, but hundreds of ticks um, yeah. on these animals. And so I tried it out and I was able to tell Kai, I think the next day I saw these little round bodies go to little flat dehydrated, like discolored discs. So I'm assuming they're dead. Now they're the way that ticks work, their heads are basically still in the animal. So what I hope will happen is that I'm not going to go in removing them all. I'm going to um, keep, I I plan on keeping all these animals for a few months to make sure they're locked on anyway before anything, if it leaves, you know, I kind of want to keep everything. Um, But basically making sure everything's locked on, what I'm hoping will happen is that through these animals shedding, these ticks will come off or the body will push them out because they're obviously dead. Um, I even got this crazy... I, I got a pair of those like uh, magnifying glasses that you actually wear like glasses and the little light on top. Um, so I can really see in there when I'm doing this stuff. And I got one of those, um, my wife works in skincare. So she had this old light sitting around, which is like a magnifying glass with all the LEDs around it. So you can hold an animal up under there. And uh, it's actually kind of, re- this is going to sound sick. It's kind of relaxing. You sit there with a calm animal now um, and you're picking ticks off, put them in a little water bowl. <laughs> It's gross at first, and then it kind of gets soothing. <laughs> nasty, man. Nasty. I, I haven't dealt with ticks in quite a while. I'm actually pretty glad. Those yeah. little, those, 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 uh, you know, when you look at them and even, uh, like, even mites, I just feel like they're all over me. And then, oh, yeah. I know they're, yeah, I know they're not over all over me or the collection, but I just feel that way. I have to yell at everybody, coming through the house, they know I'm coming through naked now because everything, yeah. I went through the garage, everything's in the washing machine, you know. Even tennis yeah, shoes, yeah. I just, I wash them with the clothes now when I'm over there doing that. Um, Man, and it's good to be, you know, the, the precautions that uh, that we're kind of taking, it, you know, it, it sounds silly, right, a little tick, but, I mean, the, the one or two that you may have forgotten or missed up, I guess can take care and wipe out your whole collection, essentially. Yep um you know in a way so you want to be careful you know we, we kind of joke about this horror one but um going into it sanitize and be sanitary utilize things that you know you're either never going to utilize utilize on something else or basically sterilize the heck out of it to utilize it again right know? um and then you'll have to also treat the animal after you pull that stuff off um essentially there'll be a ton of micro wounds all over 
So yeah, you want to be, want to be careful with that as well, especially if you're pulling off hundreds of ticks that will just be like a mangy looking dog, you know, with a bunch of little bites on it. It's kind of the same thing a little bit. So, so here's what I'm, now, I've had the experience with like the, uh, the peacocks and the Timors dwarf stuff. They didn't come in with any ticks. I mean, they came in as small, basically fresh babies. Um, a few years ago now. Um, so I, and they've all done great except for like one that was obviously scrawny and sick when I got it. Um, the, the rest of them have done great. Not a problem, but these are kind of like some older, uh, animals. They're either sub adults or adults. Um, and the, the tick issue, you know, um, it, it's kind of unique. So the way I have these cages set up, I, I, I turn these wood crates into cages, basically. Kai's seen them. Um, they're coated on the inside, so they're waterproof, but they're also, I can spray them down on the inside. I can spray them with a chemical. They're pretty resistant to the, I tested it with a chemical I'm going to be using for this stuff, too. Um, and they're they're pretty resistant to UV, um, like sun exposure, so I can leave them out in the sun, basically. Um, bleach shouldn't have any effect on it. It's not like I'm letting it sit in there. It's diluted bleach, but... Um, and then, so what I'm doing is I'm using the cocoa husks, or I'm sorry, the uh, chips as my substrate for now. And then they have access to plenty of cork tubes and whatnot. Um, got some more cork tubes in actually today. Um, and the idea with that is um, basically on a weekly basis, grabbing, it, it's going to be stressful. I hate doing it with these imports, but all the stuff's coming out. Um, all the bedding's coming out. That bedding's going right into a trash bag. That trash bag's either going in the trash at a different location or it's getting burned in a burn pile because it's like cocoa chips. Um, and then the, the cage is getting sprayed out. I also have more cages than I do animals um, that I've prepped now. So I can leave one out that's being sanitized, leave it outside uh, in the sun or whatnot let it dry out, let it air out, and then bring it back in. And what I plan to do with the, the cork is just to switch the cork. I'm going to basically have a an A bin full of cork and a B bin full of cork. And so the plan is to sterilize, sanitize, you know, one of the bins or one of the, the larger um, groups of cork and then add in the new stuff. That's my hope along with those. Um, I had to move the bugs into another room. Um, so they're on one side of the warehouse now. And, um, what I'm using is those, uh, I picked those, uh, those no pest strips up today and just cutting those up a little bit. And, you know, it, nice. I don't use them. Um, they're not in there constantly. They're not in there every day. Um, most of the times when I'm in there, the roll up door up front is open. Um, so they will be about like a day on two days off a day on a day with them in there, two days off type of thing. So nice. that's, that's what I'm trying for now. Um, but I mean, there's been other things, <laughs> other. Oh, no, there's been a lot of headache stuff, a lot of, yeah. lot of freaking nobody stuff. I guess some more, some more stuff that uh, is sort of out of our control that we've dealt with before is um, incubating issues, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself have had some stuff lately because the year here in Southern California where I live hasn't been as blistering hot. There actually hasn't been much for rolling blackouts and stuff like that that they do in Los Angeles County. So. Um, I am crossing my fingers that we don't have to deal with anything like that. But for me, um, it's only really waiting about a day or so. If it's extremely hot, 
I kind of have to balance out the incubator and make it so it's not so hot. Um, if it's like really, really blistering hot and it's 100 degrees and I can't really stop it, right? Um, I'll just shove like a cold water bottle in there and kind of balances out the, the heat a little bit. Um, and uh, for the most part, I just sit tight. I don't fuss, fuss too much if it's just going to be several hours of a rolling blackout, you know. Um, now, I haven't had the issue of wintertime yet and the eggs doing anything bad other than, you know, um, condensating a lot, but... That's not that's, that's something that I can kind of control and, and fluctuate with. It's just some of the things that are happening where it's like, dang, um, power outages or um, your thermostat, you know, going going crazy like yours, right? You had thermostat issues, no? Yeah. Um, this is your second time. Um, different incubator, different um, different thermostat. Uh, I think it might have been a combination of things. So basically um as far as things going wrong uh things going haywire um we had like beginning of august the whole covid thing then at my regular job i had to go away once i got off back from covid or not away but uh every day we had like uh mandatory 12 to 16 hour shifts so i wasn't getting a lot of sleep time or a lot of times to do things um to go deal with the fires up here in california and uh, then right after that, um, basically the county needed to come into the warehouse um, because of things that the landowner is doing. And they needed to inspect, like just visually inspect um, all the outlets in the, the warehouse. So um, that means like I had to, these big built-in cages, basically the back cages, I have the wall that's these built-in walk-in cages with a loft on top uh, where I had a lot of animals. And um, we're talking, oh, the loft is like 14 feet by eight feet. And then the cages are built under that and they're six foot high cages. So um, we, I had to rip out everything basically. And then I had to store all the animals in the other uh, in close, so we're talking in totes and bags and it, I had to rip out the, everything in there where, man, I'm still recovering. I'm still doing stuff. Um, and it was just absolutely nuts, but it was something that had to be done. So a, an inspector comes one day cause we're just trying to get my two units on their own meter. And we think it's a technician coming who's going to install this new meter. I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm just going off of what the, the landlord is telling me. So um, he just needs to see the panel in my unit, I thought. So he sees the panel and he's like, oh, yeah, I need to inspect all the all the outlets. And we're both looking at each other, me and my landlord. What do you mean inspect the outlets? He goes, yeah, I need to see all the outlets. And um, I had put I had this painter's plastic up um, that you can't see through. And long story short, <laughs> Uh, I saw so I had the, all the, the caves in the loft like um, blocked off. Um, the it wasn't a technician they sent out. They had to send out basically an inspector first before a technician to make er sure everything's good. Uh, they thought I had like a big weed grow going on back there. <laughs> <laughs> so 
they give tons this, of lights. Yeah, they give us this um this ultimatum basically, like we will be back on this date and you will show us or powers being shut off type of deal. And uh and so like now it's a scramble. And um so I move everything out and the same inspector comes out and he looks at it, and he goes, Oh man, I you know, I, I was kind of thinking you're growing wheat back here. And I'm like, I'm not, dude, you would have smelled it coming in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, he's laughing, but apparently in his world and in his job, it's a huge thing, especially out here in California, people are renting up warehouse spaces and just doing indoor grows. I mean, that's a whole nother yeah. world, but it affected my, my collection this time and what I was doing. Reptile keeping or a grow? Yeah. Right. Where, where are you? Oh no, I'm yeah. just, I'm just keeping reptiles. <laughs> you have a, you have 10,000 Watts going on. What right. are you doing? Right. I just breed lizards, bro. Right. I just breed lizards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's winter time and it's, there's that picture of the roof, right? And right. it's defrosted. It's defrosted. That's, that's, that's you right there, man. Oh no, no. I'm, I'm mining cryptocurrency. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> man. That's uh, like, uh, so I, you know those are those are things that and now that did, did that interfere with uh your electrical at all did they ever oh, shut stuff off yeah it, they never shut things off which was fortunate for me but because i had things in bags and totes i couldn't plug in on the enclosures now fortunately the weather was pretty comparable or the pretty um mild for everybody across the board it's like the the warehouse was maybe 85 during the day um, maybe got a little hotter on a couple days, um, but usually 90 or below for everything. And then 70 was the coldest it got at night. Not a huge deal across the board. I got very lucky that it's happening or it happened right now. But yeah. I had one peacock monitor get out in the process. And when I had, so it got, it ran in this little uh crevice while we're taking out these walk-in enclosures now we're talking about walls that are actually like framed between the floor is framed out the walls are framed out the roof it ran behind all this stuff and um there was uh, about a five inch circle cut through the cinder block where i have the exhaust for the heating and air and everything um and so it just happens we get to a point where i had, i had blocked that off and stuffed it with something so nothing could get out but I needed to remove that at this point. And we were pulling a wall out when this peacock monitor goes darting from one side of the room across this like back cinder block wall. And it's about a foot from this hole. Right. And I'm looking at it. Plus the two guys that I, I basically hired They're 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 friends, but hired to make this all happen like in a day to rip this stuff out of there. It's eyeballing me. I'm eyeballing him. You know, the game is on. <laughs> And it's, it's about a foot from freedom if it runs out of that hole. And, uh, man, it was like, all right, one, two. And I go on two because I'm superstitious a little bit. I figure he knows I'm counting to three. <laughs> so he's going to get the jump on me. And sometimes I swear monitors do or animals do. So I'm like, one, yeah. two, and I go running. Man, I get this thing by the tail. The front claws are in the hole already. And uh, I have it. It's Finally let go, turn around, got me on the wrist, but that was about the happiest bite I could ever have in life, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And in the process of moving all this stuff out, I did find one of those those baby Ackies that got out. Um, so I have a feeling the other one is in the other side of the warehouse, which hasn't been all emptied out yet. So that's, you know, 
But the other things that did happen was that I did have to move the incubator from one room to the next. Um, now, when unplugging everything, um, some of the eggs actually did roll um, in the sand monitor eggs. I thought they were in there more secure because they had swelled up between the ridges, basically, of the, the sim container. So I didn't think it was going to be possible for them to really roll. Surprise! Um, but I didn't. I don't think that was a big deal. I think as I was going and plugging things back in, this isn't just a simple plug to this incubator. There's a couple parts to it. Um, I I didn't plug something in right, and uh, I walked in the next day. The incubator actually. So I plugged it in in the morning into the room again, the original room. And so it had to heat up, but when I walked in, it was at 102. And now a um, couple things happened. I opened the the Aki sim containers, and one of them, just one of them, um, three of the eggs popped. One egg popped significantly, where I could actually see the embryo inside. The other one's just bare, it, almost like little little pinhole type of pop. Yeah. And... Um, you know, the pressure from getting that hot, the humidity inside the enclosure, whatever it was, and I opened that top. So I've taken a couple adjustments from then. I've put little pinhole um, holes in each of the sim containers on the side. Um, some of the vented tops that were already had holes in them, there's no issue whatsoever. Um, but the sand monitor eggs, I had nine cooking in there in this one clutch, um, and it looks like only three are good. The rest, man, you know, right to the heart. Um, but yeah. the other sand monitor clutch, for whatever reason, there's there's not an issue with them at all. Um, nice. Yeah, and and as far as the the the, I have three three clutches of um, different ackee eggs in there. Everything looks fine except for the one that popped open wide where i could see the embryo and those animals should be hatching actually the first one should be hatching in about a week about 10 days um and then the next one about 15 days so i'll really get to look at the babies and whatnot but i i have a feeling there's no issues um yeah so um now i for uh so for myself and then other uh other new keepers when you guys if this happens to you because we hear about it quite often it happens to every. Uh, just about everybody going into breeding dwarf monitors um not not everything is a smooth ride all the time so if you guys are going and having these issues with your dwarf monitor eggs or even any eggs right uh, i guess there's a scale of uh, severity here um the little pinprick holes that he was mentioning about that kind of just ruptured a little bit and oozed out okay freak out but don't freak out so much okay <laughs> you, you, have your, you have your chance to you know release some some steam a little bit but what you want to realize is that 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 little fluid that came out if it the hole is small enough everything else is basically protected that fluid is actually the protective layer that that egg is oozing out currently right. and then within a couple of days that ooze essentially will be hardened up and then create its own cast over that little entry hole um i myself have dealt with that a couple times maybe three different clutches and about maybe four different eggs um where it just that just a little pinprick happened you know and so at first at first i would stress myself out 
try to figure out all these things and you know, what to do to basically bandage that little situation, right? I've, you know, cut a little piece of saran wrap. I've uh, put scotch glue on a little piece of paper and put it over the hole. None of that shit really worked. <laughs> it wouldn't do anything other than create mess yeah. and more, more rupture, more issue as you're trying to finesse the egg in your hand and do this and that to it. I just let, I just started leaving them alone. I stopped, stopped even touching them. Um, stopped removing fluid, you know, basically stopped messing with it. Yeah. Um, Jeff Lem told me that really it's all about that little fluid part hardening up and then your, the egg will be fine. Now um, in the severity case of, I guess I would say level two is a, a slightly bigger puncture. Those I've bandaged with some saran, some saran wrap and just pray that the rupture didn't mess with any veins or the yolk or anything like that split that basically makes the animal toast, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like you can see the animal inside or you can see the embryo growing and all that stuff like that. But, um, you know, you kind of want to just leave it at that. So I've had where it basically split almost in half, almost in half, mm -hmm. right? And I just set the egg on top of saran wrap and just left it like that no glue nothing added you know um and then the more severity case like what alan just mentioned where the egg just basically ruptured i've had similar things where a kimberly egg literally just split the whole thing from the bottom and um it was kind of heartbreaking realizing then that was a really nice looking egg why did you do that <laughs> right you know and so um uh, i ended up trying to do that little thing where they you know it, it, in science class there's like a, a video of it on youtube where they taking a cup and saran wrap and they place the whole embryo and all that stuff like that the yolk inside this saran wrap thing with this fluid without a shell because the shell has basically been disrupted and broken and so they're trying to basically make this thing grow um i don't know if i did it wrong but basically the thing dehydrated and the animal died in two days but i got to see it like pumping and and you know things like that with uh just just the day or so that it was in this little cup in the incubator yeah um I, I obviously i'm just an amateur at that i don't really know what i'm doing i just try to see if it'll work or not but it really did it didn't work um once the egg split for me it was just basically toast and i took that baby and i fed it to the mom so that way we could just recycle and and work on and work on the next fed thing. Fed it to get, the get, mom. Get, get right that sounds so tragic. You could have fed it to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, man, I gotta put it back into the mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, cutthroat um, over there. <laughs> right, uh, but you know, it's those things where, man, it's like it's hard to it's hard to control these things as they happen. You right. know, um, well, we've talked about this before, where. Um, incubating issues and we talked about eggs rupturing and stuff like that and um we've actually just been going through this ourselves to really be able to give you guys this now all right this is what we do with the stuff and before we're distressing about it you know right. like damn what the hell do we do like what causes this and it's a bit of uh uh pressure exchanging too fast uh, things like that um so basically you know pressing onto the container kai helped me out with this because i hadn't really had this issue with eggs yet um, but Kai had it and just the reassurance of, Hey, just put them on something like this and, um, they should close up. And sure enough, um, except for the, the one that was obviously, you know, just exploded. 
um, too severe. Yeah. The other ones did, but I'm wondering if I see this in the future, if I see these signs in the future, can I, instead of like, cause what I did immediately was I pulled the container out of the incubator. My idea was open the top, let them cool down. And that's when I heard, I actually heard the pops pop, pop, pop. and even the sand monitor eggs look like really swollen. Right. Um, but I wonder from this point on, if I were to just let them cool down, not, not move the container, not open the top, but now I have, I also have those pinholes in the, in the containers. Um, and just let the whole thing cool on its own. If it would be more natural without disturbing it. And if it would go back down to that temperature a little slower, um, have time to pressurize basically like, like a diver coming up, you know? Um, yeah. And so different things because it might happen again. And over the years we'll build this experience. We'll share it with you guys. Hopefully you guys will share it with us. Um, your experience and we can get this information out there so that we can all benefit from it and, and what's happening. That would be, uh, you know, for this, this podcast, that would be ideal for basically anything we're doing, you know, is, um, sharing the information with you guys, you guys sharing it with us. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why we're doing the, uh, all the things that have gone wrong episode here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, in, in like, my current incubator i always when the temperatures are are like right now they're transitioning right i actually have a hard time throughout the transitioning because i feel like man these eggs are now kind of um maybe catching on to the condensation that's happening within the container uh because here in the last week it's been 70s 70s just getting to 80s next week again it's gonna go back to 90s I'm not sure what's up with this weather, but it needs to make up its mind because, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, last year it was extremely late for winter. It was basically hot, 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 hot. And then all of a sudden now we're now we're a lot chillier. And so as the temperatures fluctuate for here, even though I'm glad that it's not hot, um, it's getting it gets really chilly. And then all of a sudden it's hot again. So I would like things to stay more consistent and um it'll be i think more beneficial for the eggs uh i it's not that where i have the incubator is kind of unstable but i don't have the incubator in my hot room just because if it got too hot in there it basically toast everything so i kind of have it at a at a slightly cooler temperature where it's more of like higher 70s and there's low 80s in this room rather than being 90s and and even sometimes 100 degrees in that room if it's like uncontrolled you know Mm -hmm. so those are issues that are going to add to eggs rupturing. So um, if you guys want to nip this in the bud, really pay attention to the temperatures within your room, the incubator, and then also within the the moisture levels within the containers and the incubator itself too. Um, You know, if you guys are making your homemade ones, not the things that aren't always explained to you is that whole pressure release hole. And that's the one in the back or uh, the holes that you've drilled within making your thing. And as you close your incubator as well, let's say if you just happen to slam it close, um, that, that pressure will change as well. And so it'll just boop, right. pop itself or, you know, something like that. And that hole in the back or in my case, um, yeah, my, my in my hot box, there is a hole that you lead the thermostat probe through. And that is my pressure ex- exchange hole inside my actual incubator um so you guys making your stuff at home 
Although we do recommend that, and it is one of the probably better incubators, just so you know you put all your work into it, you know how it runs. Don't forget that hole. Um, and it's just so simple. It can be, you know, a, I don't know, three-fourths of an inch pilot hole run through the back, and that's it. Yep, yep. Yeah. And so you're going to account for your – hmm. See, this some of some of the um, issues I have with the incubators that are out there today is I think they need to have thicker walls. Um, yeah, more insulation, and this I mean you can adjust around it as we've been doing, but thicker insulation and more. Um, it's a good idea to use up the volume as long as you're not affecting what you're actually incubating. Use up the volume in there with things like water bottles. Um, even, uh, this is going to sound silly, but like a brick uh, will reach a certain temperature and it'll hold that temperature once it's in the in the um, incubator. And when you use up the volume and everything can kind of hold that temperature in there, it's going to make it much more stable. So you're going to have to not only have something that will allow the exchange of pressure, yeah. um, but also you don't want it so flimsy or so much exchange that it can't hold its temperatures either. My dog's barking over here. So I'm going to eat that dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as far as like your, uh, the, the, your pressure and what, what he just mentioned as far as thicker walls and um, such like that, that, that maybe new gen incubators can incorporate. I myself have had to do that in a rigging way where I've had to take the thick, I would say one inch purple foam that they sell at Home Depot. It's a much more firmer board. It's not thin or it's not flimsy. It doesn't break off in small white pieces. It's that pink one, uh, pink and purple one. And I have those on the very front wall and the wall that catches the most draft. And essentially, I basically double plied my incubator on the glass. So I have to actually lift or move this thing up. And so the glass is now without ability to have cold drafts just hit it, right? It's, um, the viewing glass, I mean. And then the sidewall that gets the draft is now a, a whole inch thicker. And so basically the cold air just flows by it rather than hitting that wall and actually it has actually helped quite a bit yeah. because the this normal draft would come through the door and then come through my room and that entry area is kind of where the incubator is uh in my room and so um before let's say in the morning time if it's four to six a.m it's typically the coldest part of the morning and that's where i still have the door open and it, you know my it's just breathing and stuff like that without trapping in air and and smells and so the, the, the draft will come in and it was affecting my stuff before until I put that board up. Um, and it just, you know, you just got work with what you got, you know, and try to rig it if you could. If, if not, um, you build your own or try to work out a better one. Now, the ones that you build your own, typically those, the foam or the, the thick walls within that refrigerator are quite thick, sometimes an inch or two. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what you want because it basically is a, an encased shell that is like an igloo or just so thick, you know? Right. Yeah. Man, I got all these crazy ideas, but to build my ideal incubator in my head would just take a lot of room, a lot of space. And, uh, 
<laughs> man i mean to be honest it's okay if you took the hot box idea uh-huh. right because it's a nice one and just made it out of thick plywood um i i've seen rob Fo- rob fost uh a famous uh white throat and or he's he actually works with a lot of african monitors nile yeah. niles and ornatus as well um and uh his wooden incubator is like goals i i, I love it it's it, looks exactly like the hot box but made out of wood yeah and it's thicker it looks exactly the same um the ledges the level everything and so really um going with that he's like i just built mine like, <laughs> damn i wish i had those skills right you know um you know, i'm just over here over here looking on craigslist and marketplace and trying to find because i myself even though i have my incubator here it's like the the mad scientist in me i just want to see what else is going to work for me you know maybe maybe right. i'll have a better thing because the only reason why i have this hot box is because my previous incubator the the front gra- glass cracked as i was traveling from socal to, or traveling to socal from norcal so that eight hour drive it basically took a, a little a little nick and it cracked it oh man and i was actually running with running with that for a whole year before i got a new incubator and then I had to really test that, out this incubator from ground zero with knowledge and experience with it. And I, I've actually failed a little bit, losing some Kimberly clutches and other things like that. But, you know, we're we're moving forward right. trying to use yeah. I guess if I can make one suggestion, if anybody's out there listening, um, you know, that, that builds these things, with the glass or acrylic front doors, make them... Like if especially with acrylic, uh, clear plexiglass, make it double walled if you could. So have the one pane that you obviously everybody uses and can look through, and then leave a little gap and put another one. That's gonna help trap the air in there. Um, to a certain, it might be a little difficult making it dust free. You know, always in there. Um, you'd have to seal it up so nothing gets inside. But it's there, you're then going to have that little bit of protection rather than just that. I don't know what it usually is, three sixteenths maybe, acrylic, you know, um, so that the outside temperatures can directly influence or have more influence uh, on the stuff in the incubator. If you made it double walled, then you would have a lot more protection. Um, uh, we always like to look in and see our stuff. I mean, they're just eggs. If you really think about it, they're eggs incubating. They're not supposed to be out in the open where someone can view them. That's not very safe. <laughs> a lot of species right. would die off if that was the case. But we do this. This is That's for humans, all right? That's not natural for them. That's for us humans because we like to worry about things we really don't have control over anyway except the little dial as far as the temperature. <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, the other idea would just be if you already have those is to take a piece of styrofoam like Kai has um, and just almost you could even duct tape a hinge, basically yeah. cut that, run it and have another piece of duct tape that sticks to it and replace it when it runs out of stickiness. And just that way you could actually close off the front. And when you want to peek in, just undo your duct tape, look in real quick, make sure there's still eggs because we all like to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically what I do. I have to freaking lift this thing up and just to like, I'm literally, you know, me in a little fort or something like that with this yeah. foam that's above my head. And I got this, I, luckily I had this light that I can flip the switch on and then easily peer in. But um, yeah, man, it, it's, uh, I basically build a little fortress around my incubator. My next one, 
Now, um, I haven't used this yet. I've, I've only looked in the size. But what I was thinking about was encasing my incubator inside a grow tent to yeah. trap and keep the pressure and the temperature all very consistent just surrounding the incubator. So it can breathe a little bit, maybe have a little space hole in there. But for the most part, the it'll, it'll be an incubator sitting inside a tent. And then that, that whole thing, because in wintertime here, you know, it gets so cold. The pressure drops a lot. The, right. the night humidity drops. The, just the overall temperature kind of messes with things a little bit. And what that does is, I mean, we've explained this before, but the condensation that happens within the, the containers a lot of times happens when the actual incubator is a lot warmer than the room that it's in. And so the incubator is running at mid 80s, but the the room is maybe only 60s and 70s. And so that the temperature fluctuation there basically causes uh, the condensation to to happen within your containers. And that's what we think is causing some people to have eggs drown because they basically are so damp and so wet within that, you know. Right. Um, and so. Um, just something to consider and something to, to think about if you guys are, are are reaching that stage of producing eggs but not hatching babies because this is the stuff that you run into. Oh, that's another thing. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast yet, but my clutch of peacock monitors, I think I did mention it, but I had three eggs. It was a small clutch, but all of them died, and I had animals that um, basically went full term. And, um, but then when I opened up the eggs, they had significant kinks in the tails and I don't think it was, I don't think it's a genetic issue. These things are, you know, wild caught animals originally, um, the parents, um, what I think is, and I've talked to Kai about it is that the Indonesian stuff actually like a, a lower incubating temperature. So I have another yeah. incubator that's, um, set up now for. Um, basically collibrid eggs and and indonesian stuff it's going to be right in that yeah. low 80 range if not 80 degrees for, for me uh, i've tested quite a few temperatures with my endo stuff um but i guess dating back a little bit even before i was breeding monitor lizards i was actually working with chameleons and so the chameleon most species except for the live bearer ones the ones that lay eggs, sometimes those eggs are like nine months. You know, Parsoni, even though I wasn't breeding Parsoni, um, those that's like a year and a half, two year wait, yeah. you know, 18, 18, 20 something months, you know. And so, what, what I had to consider was that those eggs, and the person that was mentoring me at the time was explaining these eggs start off at 77, 78 degrees, and then they go up every few months by a few degrees because that's how it is it'll gradually go for them and as the weather changes now i took the same almost the same concept as what this person and her name was susan james um was doing with her chameleons and i applied it to how i was hatching or started to learn how to hatch mangrove monitors um i i had eggs prior to that basically go mold up and uh, immediately go bad or something like that maybe those were meant to go bad but i then started incubating at only 81 and 80 degrees and the eggs would actually stick around more 
Um, and then I actually had an egg that was parthenogenic, basically go full term. And that's who I have now as Jody. But Jody started off incubation at 80 degrees and then went up every couple months, a couple degrees. And then once it got to finally like the sixth and seventh month, I was back up to roughly 83, 84, almost 85 degrees. You get what I'm saying? And so um, that's my max for for indoor species or for what I work with. I, I basically stick right around 84.5. That's my... That's my, even though my, my thing is set to right around 85, it's it, the incubator inside sits at that temperature roughly. And so um, that's where I feel comfortable where there's a couple things here. Um, he also mentioned kinks, right? Basically, what I'm trying to avoid, unhealthy babies, kinks, deformities, um, just premature shooting out. All these things happen. Um, it's just from eggs possibly either being too hot temperature spikes or whatever and so for for me that low 80 mark has been more beneficial in my babies and in the results that i'm wanting which is basically pristine looking animals you know i don't have to worry about um selling an animal that's busted to a customer or going the distance but then ending up with something like this that i can't sell essentially you know and so I, I avoid those high temperatures so that way I have bigger babies. They may take a little bit longer to incubate, but I'm okay with that right? because the end result is, is what I want. And so I'm not rushing eggs out. Now, um, some snake and python breeders, and maybe some of you guys are listening to this where you're transitioning from snakes to lizards. People incubate python eggs quite high mm -hmm. 87 88 i've even seen people incubate them in 90 degrees and um I, it's not that i'm disagreeing with that it's just you can't really do that with monitor lizards like that and so it's just you end up with many more issues um and so the also the time frame that takes the hatch compared to these snakes and these lizards you're essentially adding on another six seven months for the monitor lizard sometimes because well, most of these snakes are hatching out what two and a half months bro right most of yeah. these python eggs and polybird yeah. eggs two to three months right so these monitors i'm already sitting at 180 something days right now on one of my mangrove clutches for this year and so we're already past a few months already you know and right. i don't even know when it's going to hatch so um you want the process to be slow and steady not rushed right and that'll be my best recommendation for guys that are getting into species like this and you know you're having troubles with eggs or something the ones that aren't having trouble you know great great on you continue what you're doing and just keep on rocking you know um but the ones that are having issues you you'll have to adjust a little bit go low go lower start cooler things right. like that i don't think you'll go wrong with going a little bit lower with almost any species that's recommended, but yeah. going higher. Um, there's no way to rush some of these things, not without walking that line of causing yeah. defects of too bad. Right. 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 You want to find out what that fine line is. And for me, it's 84 degrees. Um, anything, any, anything 86 and above, it makes the monitors shoot out too fast. Now, don't get me wrong. People do it. People to this day are still incubating at, at that temperature. 
Yeah. Um, mostly the Aussie stuff can be incubated at that temperature, but yeah, I do most of my stuff at 86, 87 degrees for the Aussie stuff. Um, so now like my, my pythons I had in the same incubator, they usually take about 10 to 14 days longer than what's, um, what's usual for incubating, um, those same type of Python eggs, but it's, because I'm running the monitors a little bit cooler or that 80, about 86 degrees. So, um, instead of, I guess, 88 degrees or whatnot. Um, so there's a little longer cooking time, but I know that now, especially after this year, I can account for that. Um, and it's fine with me. I want things to come out healthy. Uh, and I'm going to experiment in the future with some other temps to see if babies come out just bigger. You know, I, I really haven't had unhealthy babies, but maybe they come out bigger. I don't know bigger um, yeah I, i've had kimberly eggs now the eggs are the same but and uh i'm not sure if it was my temperatures or not i've it could just be maybe what what the parents are or maybe these are just runts or smaller but i've had kimberly's come out really tiny like tiny yeah and then i've had kimberly's come out almost double the size and um it's like man i'm not sure the, the eggs are the same it's so um, even then, right now we're now we're talking about temperatures. Most of mine are quite the same for the past however long I've been doing Kimberly's, and it, not not very long. It's literally, literally my first real season, so um, one year, right? And so nothing has really changed within that one year. It's still been quite the same of eighty four degrees. So I haven't been changing the temperatures too much or lowering them at all. It's just now eighty four degrees. So. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what causes that too, because it this when we're assuming that lower temperatures would make healthier, bigger babies. You know, I've had somewhere, dang, it's like this. This this is where it throws a wrench in in your in your process of learning and and what's factual and what's not. You know, it's like all right, here's a thing that's on a tangent on its own. You know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, it's just more more uh, more complicated than we think, maybe. Yeah. Man, so, you know, <clears throat> what are some of the other things that have, I mean, I'm probably forgetting some of the, the things that go bad. Because um, there's so many things that go bad. <laughs> there's, there's so many things that are like, oh, oh, that happened? Yeah. Damn. It, it, like, and then we just have to move on. Just like oh. There are, so I, there's, I've talked about my Kimberly female experience. Um, so I did lose a Kimberly. Um uh, seven babies. I killed three of them somehow. I, I still don't know exactly what I did. Um, yeah. but I did. Kill I have three. a, I have a $15,000 Ziploc bag full of dead <laughs> kittens. Literally there's like so 15 babies in there. Yeah. You know, I'm so expensive. I just, I just look at the bag and the inside of myself. It's like you're hatching Kimberly's now, which is, which is great. Right. But but damn, look at what you went through. And I open my freezer and I see this bag. I'm just like, well, it's just like rolled up, you know, in the thing. And I see like, like hint, hint zebra tails, a bunch of the little zebra tails yeah. that are all frozen. And I was like, these things came out perfect, but dead. Right. And, um, you know, with this, because, you know, we talked about this, I think 20 episodes ago, um, uh, yeah, we thank you guys for t- tuning in for this many episodes as well. But um, you know, with my my previous season of failing with my Kimberleys as my learning curve area, um, 
these things went the distance. Mm -hmm. They went the whole 100 days, 100 plus days. But once it's 100 something days, I then start to like think, all right, at 120, 30 days, you're probably going to die. Yeah. So within like a, within 100 and 115 days, I'm expecting the thing to hatch. So anything past that, I'm like, all right, this is nail biting. Hurry up, you know, right. hurry up. But um, these eggs started to then indent in the bottom at 100 something days or something like that. Right. And I basically was venting them way too much. Um I started at 70 because other other keepers at the time were like, hey, in the last leg, the last month or so, the last few weeks, take the time and vent the eggs a little bit. So I started to do that. And then I started to do it more. And I thought I was doing the trick until the last, that very, very last two weeks, the eggs were indented from the bottom. And when they indent from the bottom, a lot of times it's, it's hard to save those eggs. And I tried my best. I tried to put stuff at the bottom water droplets on the grid so it can literally soak up that water wet paper towels uh spraying the eggs a little bit and none of that stuff worked because they were done they were, they were toast they were still alive slowly dwindling every day one would die the egg would just go dark Man. so i'm like all right fuck let me just cut this right the egg would the next egg would go dark i'd cut it and there'd be all these fully formed babies and just frustrated at two in the morning crying a little bit you know just like all right what do i what am i doing wrong you know right um we're not we're not we're not always going to get it right and even if me and alan are painting this uh, uh, picture and giving you all the steps and giving you what to do you still run into this you know um maybe now it's just more evident and you'll actually have it in the back of your mind and it'll click for you I do know that uh, there are a few people that have reached out and said that some of the information we've shared have given them ideas or helped them where they weren't having some success hatching eggs, and now they are. And um, that's great to hear. And hopefully, you know, we're, we're always looking into stuff. If you guys have little tricks that um, you've used, if you're hearing something, you're like, oh, I know what to do for that. And it doesn't matter if it's in monitor eggs or something else, you know. Um, there's people that are, like you, Kai mentioned, the chameleon world. We can take things and learn things from all over um yeah so definitely we've actually adopted stuff lately from the chameleon people themselves it's mm -hmm. because of all right not to you know put anybody on top of anybody else but chameleon people are freaking crazy about their <laughs> setups you know it's everything the lighting right. the the reason why we know uv so well is because of chameleon people and because of how they essentially are so delicate to the light that we have to utilize this expensive lighting uv and all that stuff like that is is not cheap and it's gotten better the bulbs have gotten better over the years not to say that chameleon people are the only people that are testing them out it's just they, they put so much into it so much into it and monitor keepers it's like all right if they have d3 in their diet they're fine you know it's like <laughs> now, yeah. we're, now we're trying to utilize uv as well and proper lighting for Australian species to Indonesian jungle species to um, African species. And so across the board, nothing is the same. And so we want to uh, take as much as we can from them utilizing that lighting and apply it to what we're doing. Cause we also have voracious diurnal lizards that are chasing the sun and we know they chase the sun. So for us to n essentially neglect them or, 
keep them of UV usage, I mean, this might be something that we're doing wrong here. Um, on another thing where we're taking from an, another part of the, uh, the chameleon hobby is the lighting. Again, with the floodlights and the BR30s and BR40s, okay? Now, we're all used to PAR38s. That's what most monitor keepers are using because the amp, uh, the ample amount of light that the actual floodlights produce for our monitors is really great. It, compared to a 150-watt basking bulb, that's a, a ZoomEd bulb, that bulb, all, although they are great with heating and, and their usage, the actual light focus is too strong and can cause burns. So mm -hmm. we don't really use those. We use those PAR38s more because it spreads out the heat a little bit more broadly and risk limiting the risk of burns. Now um, oh. we've gone through even more than that. And now using these BR30s and BR40s, BR20s as well, which is just a smaller version of the bulbs. Um, these bulbs do not burn your monitors at all. You can grab these bulbs and hang on to them for a minute or so, and it won't even burn your hand. And they are a lot weaker but it's meant for smaller enclosures, shorter enclosures, or um, more so what I'm using them for is it makes me utilize a very small basking spot while the rest of the enclosure is cool. Yeah. Because that's that's what monitors like. They don't hang out, like what Frank Reed says, they don't hang out in the sun and and chasing the sun 24-7 while they're, while they're basking. It's 5-10 minutes, right. 30 minutes, very, very quick in and out you know maybe get some food go back do it again you're living like little gremlins that's what monitors are they're basically living hiding being very secretive coming out doing their thing going back coming out doing the thing coming back it's never just blasted all out in the sun right you know it's funny you mentioned some stuff i i do a lot of experimenting with things that i don't really put out there because there's no scientific way for me to like uh, even explain some of the stuff. I just, I, I just look at the animals and try to test things out. So um, the Australian stuff, like my, my Aki's across the board, if the ambient, their cage is 90 degrees, they're loving life. They could care less almost. They're just running around having a good time. If I did that to like the Timors or the peacocks, they're unhappy. They're like, crammed into the coolest corner of their cage and yeah. you know but at the same time if i just turn the lights off and leave them all at room temperature the ackies well no the ackies actually stop moving so much and the the timors and the peacocks yeah they're still active like it's a regular day for them um so yeah. just funny things that i've been able to notice um uh as far as temperatures and lighting i did want to mention um the some of you guys might have things set up differently maybe it's the constraints of my size enclosures and what i'm doing but kai mentions uh some of the bulbs um i i've been testing out and messing with some of the like all-in-one heat and uv bulbs just to see what they would do um and i'm still oh well, we got something going on okay okay <laughs> um but I, I found the same thing that the it's hard to explain it because I'm still learning about the lighting and everything. So I, I'm still a huge skeptic on things like I have to prove it to myself before I use anything. 
So those, yeah. those um, all-in-one bulbs, though, it's like the recommended um, space between where you're supposed to have the bulb as far as for the UV purposes, so you're not like oversaturating the animal, animal basically, they weren't allowing the cages to heat up or the hotspot to heat up to the right temperature. Yeah, they, they, they don't at all. They're actually the, the, the beam of light and how it's supposed to focus. If you're looking at a 100 watt bulb, you're expecting that surface temperature at only 10 inches to be 130, 140 right. easy when a 30 watt floodlight can do that. Right. Like that. So yeah. with my, I'm still messing around with UVB um, and different things, but I will say this, that I would be a lot more comfortable using a two part system than getting those all in one bulbs for monitors for other animals that can bask at like 95 degrees, hundred degrees. Maybe they work fine um, for that, but I haven't been able to set it up in a way on two foot tall enclosures, three foot tall enclosures or six foot tall enclosures where I can achieve what I'm looking for. Um, so that's just, you know, I, maybe you got somebody out there is doing it different. Maybe you're uh, achieving something different, but I just don't trust the all in one bulbs. If I was going that route, I would rather use a two part system. Uh, yeah, same, same here. Um, for uh, a, a quick Kimberly cage, a small one. Sure. I'm using the 70 watt mega ray, mm-hmm. but even then, like now as I'm, transitioning into the weather i actually didn't crank the heat up at all in that cage i turned i took that 70 watt bulb and i just put a little 45 watt duramax floodlight in there that's a br30 right and so the distance between that has to be roughly about six inches for it to even get a decent surface temperature right six inches is not much space you guys okay the recommended normal space for a floodlight um is about a foot because that's how strong some of them can be um, but these BR30s, when you're looking at the lumens, it gives you the strength of the bulb, okay? The lumens would be on the bottom right or typically on the back of the bulb, and most people don't pay any attention to this. Um, but if you look at – and it, all bulbs would basically give you the number of lumens at the bottom. These BR30s are only like 300, 350, 400 lumens. So the distance is not so much. But let's say if a uh, 65-watt – floodlight had 1500 lumens man that's a very strong bulb even mm-hmm. if it was just a 65 watt bulb now let's say if it was a 65 watt bulb floodlight same thing but not 1500 lumens and only 560 okay that's a very typical lumens for that type of bulb um and the distance would you really only really need about 10 inches maybe a foot but if it was like 1500 lumens you would need maybe two to three foot of distance because that's how strong the bulb is. Mm-hmm. You be as if you are interested, you'd be able to buy these bulbs yourself because I really recommend you just go through them. Even the incandescent egg-shaped bulbs are, are beneficial to what we use if you utilize them in the right way. Um, but these the these what I'm using here, I went from hot blistering bulbs, hot, hot setups to cooler setups. Slightly, slightly cooler. Don't get me wrong, I'm still using 120 surface temperatures 130 maybe but not 150 and uh, my my ambience are still s- now back to sitting at like 80s mm-hmm. rather than rather than having much of the cage go to 90s i'm trying my best to not have things basically overheat when it's summer winter time 
and oh, sorry, it was summertime. And when they go into winter, it's going to be hard to overheat them because I'll be fighting with the winter. So it'd be perfect for me if I'm adding a lot of heat then. Um, but now it's like learning new things. I just cranked down a bunch of my heat. I had like 245 watts in a four by four and I turned off one of them. Female came out, male started locking with her. It's like, they're just, you know, you would think the normal recommendation would just be heat them and feed them for all the monitors, but mine like it cooler. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because where I'm at, it's so hot already that this is their chance and they love it cooler because they don't get it a lot, you know? Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's just uh, like now as I'm noticing and I'm adjusting my bulbs, they love it. So they love it where it's not so blistering. You know, I'm coming up with enormous, enormous hot. I'm coming up with ideas that, uh, I mean, ideas that I've had kind of floating around, but how to utilize them better. Um, Jeff, Jeff Easter just made a post about how he's using those DHPs, uh, the deep heat projectors. And it's an idea I've wanted to kind of mess with as well. I, just so you guys know, there's a ton of things that I, I'm always tinkering with something. Like I, I have some crazy looking bulbs and setups. In fact, Oh wait, I, I took it. Kyle, I'll send you a picture of one that I got um recently it's i don't i think it's made in china somewhere i've never seen anything like it yes it works but i'm not sure i would ever use it <laughs> it's this um crazy heating element type of thing but um you know I'm, I'm always looking for ideas to do things better uh and jeff has showed a picture basically where he's using this dhp in conjunction with a halogen for the daylight and i think a strip for for the UVB, like uh, one of the T5s yeah. or something. Um, right. And I really like it. It's, it looks like he's achieving the temperatures he wants because when you have that DHP, from what I understand, it heats kind of the, the items in the cage a little better. It's not really heating the air. It heats the items the way it works. Um, so putting like a, a stone under there, slab or something, maybe some other things like that in and around it, it's going to help keep that temperature, especially yeah. at nighttime. And then the halogen is just going to bump those temperatures up, get you that really nice daytime basking. Um, and then to go further with that, there's the, the UVV strip. What this also allows you to do is kind of control these things independently. So um, there's actually, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but there's a, uh, it's a, I think it's a podcast and a YouTube channel. Um, it just had, um, uh, Dr. Francis Baines on uh, who does a, a huge amount with reptiles and UV lighting, but I'm and more than UV lighting, lighting across the board, like the, the full spectrum. Um, it just came out a few days ago. It's, it's actually really, really interesting. Um, what she's talking about. I rec I'm going to try to look it up here so that I can uh, recommend it to everybody. Um, Cause it, it gets your head going and how to use light, but there's a lot of cases where you don't want the, if you use UVB or UV light, you don't want it across the whole cage. You don't want to always have to expose your animal to it. Um, you don't want it mixed in with the heating element per se, because then they're forced to receive that kind of radiation while just trying to heat up. And regardless of what people say, it isn't the cure all end all to things. It has to be used appropriately, or you could have some possible negative effects. Um, but the, I think the best thing with all of this is letting your animal choose what it wants. And so they go into talking about how to set up an enclosure that allows this and your lighting that allows the animal to choose from the different parts that you allow it to. Um, 
let me see if I can find Yeah, my uh, my guys um my monitors cuz I have most of my UV settings either spread out throughout most of the enclosure, right? Like long UV tubes. Um the usage of those for me is a lot better as the animal wants to hang out underneath the lamp of UV, but she doesn't always want to bask or they don't always want to bask underneath the hot temperature. So I'll notice them just sit underneath that, that independent UV light rather than going and hanging out underneath like a mercury vapor bulb. Now for me, the mercury, I've been testing a few things and I've actually used the deep heat projector mm -hmm. and i've also and i still currently use a couple of the mega rays but i honestly don't like them and what i need to use them for because of the flexibility that i want to have with what alan was mentioning basically i like to be able to use my heat and uv and even night heat source all independently right not having to be on at uh, all at the same time you know so for for me my usage in the deep heat projector it can be for nighttime heat or let's say the uv bulb that's on that's creating white visual light i'll have just the deep heat projector on and that's just on 24 7 running all the time and uh for me though okay the the dp projector that i got was only like a 70 watt roughly right you that one came from the same mega ray company which is reptileuv.com um, I got those for a pretty cheap price. They're like 30, 30 bucks or so, give or take. Their ability and everything like that and strength, oh my God, it's very strong, very strong. Even at two and a half, three feet distance, the cage is only three feet tall and the lamps are at the very top of the cage. I was getting a surface temperature at the very bottom of the cage at easily 130, 140. Now, this is 170 watt DP projector. Um, now, you may uh, have bigger cages or taller cages, but make sure that you're running these DP projectors and basically getting their surface temperatures down before you're plugging in your animal. Don't just assume that it'll work a certain way just because we're saying it will. See how it affects your current space for your animal. Um, that, that whole distance between the bulb and the basking area is, is, is very important. Um, now let's say for some species with really thick scales, uh, maybe not so, not so bad because, you know, it's hard to get burns, but for my animals that have very thin skin, burning is very easy. Um, and I, I have Kimberly's and mangroves, basically very, very thin skinned monitors. It's not rough and plated or, or, uh, it's, it, 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 they're not bumpy and ridged or, or anything like that it's actually quite smooth just like skin and so for me i have to really play it safe and i ended up not utilizing the the dp projector because it was quite strong for my short cages um i still have them sitting there um and uh, i i'm waiting for them down I'll, I'll send them to you because my lady was like what are you gonna freaking do with all these bulbs you bought these and you're not even using them and I'm just like, they're just sitting there because, you know, she helps me um, tidy up. And um, she's like, these bulbs are just sitting here. And you spent like $200 on them. And you're not even, you know, you're not even really using them anymore because I I needed the freedom. And yeah. so having all different bulbs hooked up to all different things, 
and in combination make the usage just like a mercury vapor but all independent it works right. better for me freely um now some some of you might like love the mercury vapor because it's simple and then you just have another heat nighttime heat source you know don't get me wrong stick with what you're doing with what you like and how it works for you you know um, but for me it just doesn't work that well yeah and same thing with the mercury vapors just because the mega rays for me even at 70 watt get too hot and i'm expecting this hotter surface temperature and they just don't give it to me at the distance yeah you know yeah but i you know this uh so it's the animals at home podcast or slash youtube show it came out three days ago it has um an interview with dr francis bain so go check it out i don't we don't have any affiliation with that show um but go go look at the information i've never um talked to the host uh anything like that i've had a couple quick conversations um through message with uh dr baines but it's awesome information and a lot of the questions i had about things um kind of got answered it led to a lot more questions if i'm being honest um, but so many numbers. Yeah. Make sure you make sure you're ready to pile in numbers. Right. But I've been I've been so curious about this stuff, and she treats lighting as like uh, this holistic, um, yeah, like a full range approach. So it's not just and we get these camps of uh, just UVB now, kind of UVA heat, and that's it. Where her approach is like, well, actually, we're seeing this whole range. How do we provide them all of this in captivity and the choices to use what they need when they want to use it? And so I, I really like that idea um, and that approach to things. Um, also with the, the kind of technology that's out there today where you can, when they show you, when you can see the, the basically chart of the different light waves and what natural sun looks like and then what you can hit with different bulbs and how they overlap, you can see it for yourself and be like, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. This is how it, it makes more. It makes more sense. Right. And and then when your animals ultimately how your animal responds is going to show you how these things are. Working, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, for for me, seeing them utilize like when I have uh, my compact bulb just hooked up normally like vertical. Right. But when this hooked up horizontally. They they, res they they respond differently because that bulb is working better. Huh. Um, you know, uh, now that uh, I even because I, I I still have a couple of those small compacts running, and I stopped utilizing them straight down because they don't work that way. Um, they they work at a horizontal where the um, the thing is face the, the length of the bulb is facing downwards, and then it projects a little bit better UV. Um, then again, I still don't utilize a a ton of those i just only have them just for testing you know yeah um and still to today i go back and forth between utilizing some uvb and not utilizing any and i get results from both so um but i've had some issues where female kimberlies didn't bounce back very well and nearly losing those right but uv really helps me out then um so you know i'm not going to knock out i'm not going to knock and say it's it is beneficial or it's not i've actually been using them off and on and um you know getting similar results so you know what's funny for me it's like i want to i there's i almost think i want to believe in it fully 
but there's so much bad information out there. It's like the the people with the bad information <laughs> really make it yeah. hard for me. It's like, get out of the way and stop giving out bad information. <laughs> so I can actually yeah, yeah. listen to the people that are giving, because, you know, be ready to say like, okay, yeah, why, why is it beneficial? And you hear these, you know, crazy stories sometimes, not to say Kai, yours aren't like, cause we talk about what you're really seeing, what you're doing. You have a better way to explain it. Um, but you know, or, or people just get in camps and they want to fight online and you're like, this doesn't, yeah, this man. doesn't help anybody. Like I'm really trying right. to figure this out. And you know, there's a, there's a million people online or more. And so there's a million opinions. Right. Uh, sadly, it's a lot to weave out. Right. So I would not listen to just anybody. I would go through. People are available. Um, if they are actually out there posting quite regularly, and some of it, what you want to do is don't just take what they take their word for it. Don't just take my word for it or Alan's word for it. Just listen to what we got to say, maybe, but test it. Right. See if it works. See if it works for your animals. See if. Um, what your application is doing is now beneficial and it's got some change going on. Don't just take what we say and, and run with it or spread it. You want to make sure that you're, you know, the ins and outs of what you're telling people. Okay. Um, at the same time, when you're going and you're hopefully being politeful, talking to these people, basically picking their brain, you know, seeing these successful people, you will see them. They will, they're evident. They have, the animals breeding, they are, you know, recommended by people. You'll see their work. It, when you just search their names up in groups, you see just followings and followings and followings of just them posting. Test all of that shit. Yeah. Look at look all that stuff up. Make sure that you're not just taking what they're saying and repeating that and regurgitating that, but you've gone through it, you know, and and seeing how that works for yourself. Um, and these people are quite easy to follow, you know, just message them online or add them online and, you know, be, be nice about how your approach is, you know, have some manners. Cause some of these people are, you know, their, their work and volumes and stuff like that. They just, they just want to have a, a normal conversation with people just, just continuous, you know? Um, and so your, your approach is everything on how you want to get gather information from these people and, and respect is is that respected manners is that main that main ingredient there mm -hmm. you know um and there's for myself you know to alan and to very like people at the top or whatever we're all always learning from each other um it's like a it's like a thing where all of us somewhat are communicating with each other all the time and it's like a collective you know and um, something that you may find difficult to understand, we may have already gone through that. You just kind of have to really um, reach out and see who who yeah. who who is uh, who is good with you with communication and and all that stuff like that. You know. Yep. It, um, we got away from talking about the bad into UV and now <laughs> talking to different yeah, people, still, gaining ideas. It's still, uh, you know, uh, all kind of relative because these people are going to come come to us and or they'll come to somebody. And, you know, the, right now, I think a lot of what it is, is people are gravitating to this podcast a lot. Now, it's not just this podcast, but people are gravitating to this 
to podcast period over certain other things because of the rawness mm-hmm. in podcasts or the just the conversations they're, they're real you know um and we'll get more and more people that are essentially curious right they're they're essentially want to do better with their animals Absolutely. do better for themselves reach goals right and um you guys will basically be again faced with a million opinions a million answers and we're trying to weave out what's right and you'll may you may have a couple of different options that someone is giving you and you're gonna want to before you get to the horror parts that we've mentioned at the beginning of this you know, maybe you can nip those things in the butt you know? mm-hmm. man I've got to talk to you after the show about those deep heat projectors. But but before we get into all that, um, yeah, what I'll send them to you, man. I don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what is going right for you right now. We talked about some of the bad. What is going right? Nothing, man. Ah! No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, so not to really jump the gun on anything. Um, basically, most of my Kyle and stuff is uh, on the up and up even if it's very very slow growth things are locking things aren't killing each other as much nice my caging is better um basically i've uh made sure every single nest bin is like on point 84 degrees the soil temperatures the the saturation and moisture levels um i no longer use just soil or or partly sandy soil i use 80 percent sand now with some soil twigs and leaf litter but the saturation level is like a beach yeah so um yeah it's uh going back to the conversation we had just a a week or two ago about just the soil in asia or the soil and mostly anywhere it's not just dirt it's got a lot of sand in it it's kind of uh soot like you know when you pick Mm -hmm. it up um and so that's what I'm trying to apply is seeing if my monitors respond to it better, which their scales are, their overall liking and digging it and probing it rather than just sitting on it. When it was just uh, mostly wet dirt, they weren't utilizing it like how they are now. Um, so that's uh, on the up and up with the Kai Island stuff. I've got Solomon Island Indicus kind of always cranking out. Those are kind of like my pride and joys on why I do the mangroves. Um, it's basically my partho project that's grown and grown and grown. I'm now creating F3s awesome. of these monitor lizards that are um, Solomon Island mangroves. So I'm now on F3. Um, going back a little bit, prior to this, I was still getting parthenogenic clutches and only partial fertile clutches. So I was still getting one or two eggs that were the female bred or not, right? Um, and then I was getting like half clutches where only three or four eggs out of six or seven would be great. Um, but now I'm getting better clutches, full, full, all, all the eggs are essentially looking great. Um, and that's because I've been cooling, cooling my mangroves down. So they actually go through a, a, a chill period in the wintertime. I'm not fighting my winter like I used to. Yeah. Um, now the Kimberly stuff. <laughs> All right, so the Kimberly stuff is actually doing amazing this year so far. Um, I basically, you know, uh, saved enough for a wedding ring, basically. You know, uh, type type money. I mean, even though we're going to be investing that money in a smarter stuff, we already talked oh, about. Oh, what are you, you know, saying? Like that. 
<laughs> but uh you know she's like yeah she's like yo i, I don't think i want a ring we could just spend that on like the, our property or something like that you know um so yeah man my wife's a trooper she's great for that stuff you know i, I was like all right damn i don't gotta buy a ring Ooh. um but yeah you know it's Kai, like the kimberly, look the behind stuff. you I yeah no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the, the kimberly stuff is is uh i'm i think i'm on like my sixth clutch right now of this year nice. um and so yeah everything has been pretty decent i'm actually going into this year so you know we're september uh, october now right or we're getting into october soon um i've had to remember what i did last year yeah i have the notes still but you know i'm last year was good yeah but this year i want to make even better um so you know i, I want to see that if if my Kai island stuff will respond to some of the changes that i've made um i don't want to just sit stagnant with stuff like oh they're not breeding you know yeah. throw in the towel or something like that I, I i haven't i'm not done yet with with them and and all that stuff like that there is quite a bit of the project now as well it's no longer just trying to make pure Kai Islands, which is the main goal. Um, I have 75 percenters on the way, which is 50% uh, Kai Island produced with a full Kai Island female. So that'll make me 75 percenters. And then if I can take this hatchlings from the 75 percenters and then utilize that one and produce that one with a, another full-blooded Kai Island, then I would, in terms, make hundred percenters um but that's that's a uh, five years down the line or something like that after I, I grow up everything and try to put it back together but right now i have pure pears i have mutt pears i have all sorts of things kind of going yeah. on um and yeah man it's for the monitor side that's where i'm at i have some other loose odds and ends but I'm actually going to be figuring out what I'm going to be doing with all that shortly. So yeah, I heard um, I heard you acquired uh, something new recently. Um, just I mean a really really pretty snake. I think it was. Uh, yeah, man, I was actually joking about the snake when I first when you first sent them. I was like, why the fuck are all these snakes in this box? How come there's no monitor? How come there's no monitor lizards in here? And uh, you know, I fell in love with that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was literally a joke. I was kind of talking shit on on the snake a little bit, like uh, we're a, we're a monitor table, but we got a ton of pythons, <laughs> and so you know, let's let's just run with this. But um, centrillions have been a thing that I liked when I was younger. Right. Um, a gentleman of mine, John, a gentleman friend of mine, when I was a kid, like literally 12, 13, he bought one and then kind of brought it into the store a lot. Um, he kind of took care of it, like too too anal you know like everything needed to be somewhat perfect man this snake just sits at 80 degrees on right. the top of my shelf <laughs> and i just feed it and i just feed it. it it ate an adult mouse the other day and i was like wow all right cool yeah um you know it's a it's night and day for me because i'm used to getting shitted on and scratched up and you know my monitors are somewhat annoying because they're like all over me right right um but the snake is some somewhat of a of a of a good thing because i'm just, you know i don't have to worry about it biting me or pissing on me and i have i don't have to shower right away or 
Yeah. So, man, the snake is great, though. Yeah. I love it. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, my pleasure, man. They, they are my favorite python. So, um, and you're right. They're kind of bulletproof. They can sit at, like you said, like 80 degrees on a warm shelf somewhere and um, probably be fine. And you know what? If it got 15 degrees in your house, it would probably be fine. <laughs> yeah. I actually cool them down to like mid 50s um, in the winter. So that's coming up. But yeah, good stuff, man. Um, yeah, man. So what about what about you as far? I mean, I know we talked about a bunch of the hiccups and let's, to be honest, most of those hiccups have been on you. Yeah, because I've had I haven't I've been kind of steady. So, um, you know, not to knock on some wood, but what are you what are some of the positives that you're looking up for or are upcoming for you as right now? Um, Just kind of what I said, the, the, about the, the Aki clutches that should be hatching in like basically the next two weeks, looking forward to that. Um, they're from some, some newer females. So it's their first viable clutches, um, had them paired up with a really nice male. So just, you know, always curious to see kind of what pops out of the eggs. I love seeing those little tongue flicks. Um, got those going on. Uh, while I did lose a number of Sam monitor eggs, three of them look rock solid. So I'm still happy about that. You know, um, the, yeah, the other clutch looks fine. The females dig in today. I expect her to be dropping. She's with a different male. So, um, I'm really excited about that kind of thing. Uh, I have a feeling those, I got to make room cause a lot of those would be held back. Um, Let's see if, if, if it's successful, got to see how it all goes. Uh, the, the imports, um, the tree monitor group, the Dorianus project, um, Man, those Becker, I are huge. Oh man. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a freaking blue trees head. If I, if I were to say I'm so myself. Yeah. That there, so the male, it, it, there's a trio, it's a male and two females. So really cool on that. But I mean, yeah, his head is massive. It, it's surprising massive. how broad it is. And it, overall, he is um, he is a true like thirty six inches. And uh, wow, that's, that's a that's big. That's that's pretty good size. Yeah. So on the front of one of those wood cages, I actually marked um, uh, one foot, two foot, and then the halves of everything, two and a half up to oh, four foot. So you can measure. Yeah. So I take him out and I I hold him up to this cage, and he's like at thirty six inches. Uh, so he's a he's a big animal and um and it's obvious the other two are females um they they all look good oh uh, you know something funny that i should probably mention the kind of i can make some assumptions maybe um the tree monitors came in with all kinds of ticks right um yeah but it kind of would make sense for where they live they're up in the trees i don't know how much they even touch the ground or or even see water honestly not alone not let alone um uh, soaking in water so they came in full of ticks um you got other reptiles rodents birds up in those trees um so the you know it's, it's a part of their life now the dorianus all of dorianus across the board too i know came in fresh no ticks whatsoever on them and we're talking about a three and a half foot um sub adult and a three foot sub adult um no ticks whatsoever. Uh, literally, like flawless-looking animals. Um, you know what's what's crazy? Okay, so the not that not that ticks can't attach to them, right? But 
I think it's the scales that they can't get into. Hmm. The Dorianas don't have open scales. They don't have a scale that you can lift. And they don't really have much for grooves like a, like a roughneck or or even your tree monitors that have right. They're not scutes. They're not scutes, but they're 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 sort of plated, right? Right. And so they can kind of get in between that. The for me, what I find is the the the, the mangrove skins or the indicus type skins are like smooth. So I'm not sure if the ticks can really get and penetrate. Well. See, I was I didn't think about that, but maybe that's true too. I was thinking it might have to do with the fact that I think the Dorianus are a lot more uh, terrestrial water monitor <laughs> than uh, yeah. not not I'm not saying they are water monitors. That's just that they spend because I've I've seen them soaking in water bowls. Now I have yeah. you know these just for fun. I have two babies in like this massive enclosure, and a lot of times they choose to sleep in these water bowls, even though they have really tight hides other places. Um, they choose when lights go off to get into these water bowls. Um, and just the way their, their tail is, you know, uh, compressed. And I just wonder if, and even, even where their, their nostrils are, I wonder if they spend more time, not like totally submerged, like a water monitor, just going to jump in a lake and start swimming. Um, but if little waterways, little pockets of water, I wonder if they spend more time in there. And I also think that because of the way their teeth are, um yeah it's like a crab eating teeth yeah it just you know there's there's so much i want to go see them in the wild that's what i want to do and uh but yeah see the hard part is how do you track something in the jungle where it doesn't know you're there it's so thick in some of these areas i'm sure that it's already it's going to know you're there before you ever see the animal so um, yeah yeah it, good good luck on running through that you're going to see an empty jungle because everything's on the back side of the trees <laughs> yeah and as you start to move they just move around the tree <laughs> uh but you know so back to the things that are going good so um there was the green tree monitors i think i think one might be gravid um which would be cool uh two of them came in just some of the most colorful animals i've ever seen they have like um i the blue on the back, the red bellies, the the uh, yellow noses and throats. The blue tree that came in has a green back. Um, and then the Dorianus have, as I described earlier, like this super crazy jeweled look with different colors all down their back. Um, still heavy black background and then these bright spots of different colors. Um, that's going on uh all the other monitors seem to be doing fine they handled the transition fine the savannah monitors are paired up in a big enclosure and are doing fine with each other had one little incident with a feeding thing where one grabbed the other one the the male who's bigger grabbed the female by the leg left some decent lacerations truth is i didn't do a thing about it and she healed up fine she's walking around fine now it wasn't an attack of any sort it was um quiet yeah so i flung a a uh a chick and when i flung it um part of the head came off one direction and the body went the other direction you know it's just the <laughs> i know it's kind of gross but that's what happened well i the body went in the direction i meant it to the head went in a different direction kind of her foot was next to it that was closest to him and he went just for it um so it wasn't like an intentional thing. It, I turned my back. So I think that's what happened. Cause that's what makes sense. As soon as I turned back. Um, 
but so he bit her, but she healed up fine. Um, and they, they seem to be getting along right now really well together. Um, they're both showing some really good behaviors. Um, I just started with the, the temperature when I reintroduced them back into the cage, we had them set back up through dirt in there. I, made sure that the the substrate in there had a little more moisture in it they have standing water now which i had taken away um so we'll see what happens with that i'm pretty excited about um nice man yeah so i think that's oh there's a lot there was a i had a uh this non-monitors but i had a clutch of uh python eggs and man one of these just it's it's like this red yeah that the hypo right uh, it's yeah the hypo stonewash just it's like this red tiger striped thing i don't know i'm just in love with it. i go in and yeah i had a i had a gentleman uh i forget his name i think it's randy or something like that but he just hatched some out too hypo centrillion or something like that he showed me a picture of it he wants to trade a mangrove monitor for it oh yeah <laughs> yeah i told him i was like i, I guess wait is it ralph? i don't know if i want enough yeah it's ralph Ralph wants yeah. a monitor. Oh, you just yeah. started something. <laughs> he wants one. He wants one monitor. Ooh. One leads. Yeah. Don't don't tell him how it yeah, goes. So it's Ralph Polinsky. Yeah, he's got some great yeah, yeah. great Centralia. So the bread line. Um, yeah, he actually he actually offered it to me, and I, I mean I, I was actually considering it just because you know it's a gorgeous snake. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, but uh, then you'll have two. You see how this is going. The snake guys are getting yeah. the pythons. Dude, he's like, he's like, I saw you post a centrillion. What about this offer? So I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> they haven't, even, they haven't asked, they haven't asked yet, but, but yeah, he, he he's been wanting one for a while. I think something went through where he was like supposed to get like a, a water monitor or something. But uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. Most people want a water monitor, but it's like a 10, 12 foot cage you have to really incorporate, in. right? That's so big for most people, you know. Um, so yeah. Oh boy. All right, man. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're about that two hour mark. So hey, glad to be back. Thank you guys for being patient with us. Um, we just we kind of explained some of this, the craziness. Kai, you went down and did the show. We didn't even you know what? Yeah. We should maybe like recap that next time real quick to spend a little time. Yeah, on yeah. It was actually pretty pretty fun. Yeah. So uh We'll be able to catch up on that, but uh, some expecting stuff to see from us a little bit more, basically, since we got to kind of recharge and collect ourselves from all the mess of our, our normal monitor lives. Um, you know, we're basically trying to do um, things that where you guys are going to be able to relate to as far as newcomers getting into the breeding process or, you know, just basically the, the, the beginning stages for you guys. So we're trying to break that down even more. Uh, we've got a couple guests coming in for just first-time Yaki breeders, first-time, you know, things like that, where um, their insight on somewhat of amateurness and vulnerability to everything is going to be something that you guys may be able to relate to. Um, and we try to really take that and run with that because, you know, there's there's a lot to know. There's a lot to learn. There's many, uh, many hiccups that you can face along the way. That's why they consider breeding monitors – so diff so difficult you know um us we see them all the time we see eggs and stuff all the time but it took quite a bit just to get there you know like i myself took 10 15 plus years to actually see eggs out of projects that i was studying and learning you know so 
It's not just going to come soon. And we want to, we want to basically embrace a lot of the beginners in what you guys are doing and seeing how you guys are developing. Right. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll go on to the Morelia Python radio, um, network.com or .net. You can get there from both and check out their, their website, check out their Patreon. If you'd like to help support not only our podcast, but all the podcasts, there's like 10 of them go on there and look around. Uh, you'll hear from some great guys. A lot of these guys are crossing over or have kept uh, snakes monitors. I mean, we're reptile people. We like it all. Um, some of these guys also have been over to some of these countries and just have great insight into what's going on or really interesting topics. Um, you know, the, the, there's a new like rats or colibrids and colibroids um, show that's worth listening to if you're into that kind of stuff, especially, but also some of the stuff they had to think about the kind of free thinking they had to implement in order to solve problems. And that's adaptable across the board, no matter what kind of reptile you're keeping. I love it when people think like that, I get to learn from it and benefit from it. Once you teach yourself yeah. how to do that, it's it changes the world for what you're capable of doing with your own animals. So, right. all right. Uh, I think that's it. Anything else, Kai? No, I think that's it. We'll tune in for the next episode, you guys, and hopefully we'll see you guys back here. Uh, feel free to message us or contact us. I'm typically on Facebook. Um, I'm most responsive there as kai fan now um, but you also, yeah, <laughs> you'll also be able to find me on uh, instagram at big underscore lizard 103 that's a uh, one the letter o the number three um and yeah just keep us updated with um questions you may have that you may want us to answer and alan where can they find you at uh, you can find me on facebook at origins reptile or on instagram at origins underscore reptile uh and then of course here uh on your your podcast channel or whatever podcast uh um app you're using you can find us under the monitor keeping podcast so uh again i, I still have people kind of they'll add me as a friend i know they see my name i know how social media works and i just want to make sure i'm not offending anybody if i'm not adding you under- we don't like you guys <laughs> <laughs> i gotta keep myself separate you know you don't want to see pictures yeah. of my kids fifth grade or third grade whatever you know um i really don't talk about reptiles on that stuff so it's just message him on both so he has to merge them together. <laughs> that's what you guys do to me man i tried making my own pages Basically, I just have to merge them together, anyways. You yeah. Know, so, um, but yeah, we try to keep somewhat of separate, somewhat right. separate. Right. Yeah. So try to. Well, thanks you guys for tuning in. All right. Till next time. Till next time.